Chronicles chapter 29 through 32, and you'll see why as we look at the life of King Hezekiah, one of the better kings of Judah. Second Chronicles chapter 29. Now Hezekiah became king when he was 25 years old, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Abijah, the daughter of Zechariah, and he did what was right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father David had done. Let's pray. Lord, we just ask that you'd bless, Lord, our time, our fellowship, our worship, as we will see, Lord, your great hand upon the life of King Hezekiah upon the prophet that was in his life, Isaiah as well. And so, Lord, we will look at the great army of Assyria is nothing against your power and your hand. And so, Lord, we just ask that you'd bless us, Lord, that you would open up our hearts and our minds to what you would have in Jesus' name. Amen. Hezekiah, as we will see, will kind of be the last of the good kings of Judah, uh, we're going to see that Hezekiah, you know, he does things and he is a reformer. He is a builder. Uh, he does wonderful things and yet there's one hiccup in his life. You're, you're almost wanted there to be nothing there, right? But there is something and we'll see. I know this is shocking. Sometimes politicians get prideful. Sure, it was only in the biblical days, not today. Hezekiah became king when he was 25 years old and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Abijah and she was the daughter of Zechariah. Now it's interesting to me that the Bible will give us a lot of detail about Hezekiah. Uh, there are three chapters devoted to him in 2 Kings. There are four in the book of Isaiah, and there are four here, which leads us to believe, unlike Ahaz, his wicked father, that the Bible has a lot to say about this king and what he did for the nation of Judah in the south. Remember, we're going to see in about three years of him taking reign that the Assyrians will come in and utterly wipe out the northern tribes. Now, 2 Chronicles mentions primarily his religious dealings, while 2 Kings talks about him as a king. And we've seen this pattern before uh, through Chronicles. And the chronicler is um, kind <laughs> to Hezekiah. If you want to get the full picture of Hezekiah and what he did, and again, we're going to see this when we get to uh, chapter 32, that there are a few details left, left out as uh, his dealings with Shennacherib, the king of Assyria. But we'll kind of piece that together for you tonight. Don't worry, it's not a huge amount of history, although there is. Good night. Half of you just went to sleep. <laughs> So know with me that Hezekiah becomes king when he is 25 years old. If you're taking note, 715 to 686 B.C. was his reign. We're going to see that that's important because we're going to see extra biblical account 
of Shenekareb, and the Assyrians kept really good records. When we get to that chapter, I, I feel like we should just jump to that chapter. There's so much there. Uh, in the British Museum, they have very detailed archives of what we're about to read. So it's great always to read the Bible, but to have something outside uh, telling us what is going on. Hezekiah takes the throne of Judah at the very end of the, king of Is, uh, the kingdom of Israel in the north. And what, why is that interesting? Because God allows Judah in the south to see what happened in the north and tells her, don't do what your sister did in the north, so that they would have a pattern as to not duplicate that. How do you think that ends up going with the south? Well, people move from California to the south. That's a joke. <laughs> and it's like, you ruined your state, why ruin ours? That's another study. So Hezekiah was, again, one of the better kings, and it is because of the influence of his mother, Abijah, because she was the daughter of Zechariah, who was the high priest. Note with me in verse 2, the description of him by the Holy Spirit, and he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father David had done. Now, we had made mention of this before, that when it says his father David, now we know his father was Ahaz, who was wicked from the last chapter, but when it says David, it means that he wanted to do well in the sight of the Lord and bring those, as we will see, reforms. He was a zealous reformer. He prohibited the worship on the high places. 2 Kings 18.4 tells us that. Now, before you think to yourself, well, that's not a big deal. No other king did what Hezekiah did, which is remove those high places. Uh, through the book of uh, Chronicles, we've seen one king talk about the high places, they, and then we'll see, but they did not totally remove them. Hezekiah is the only one who goes up and beyond what we would see as a reformer. He didn't just talk about it. He actually did it. And we're going to see he is going to clean out the temple that has a lot of rubbish from the previous administration. No, stop it. That was not political. That was simply Ahaz is wicked. Knock it off or you'll make me go down that path. Listen to what 2 Kings 18.5 says about Hezekiah. I think this is a wonderful verse about Hezekiah. Would we not all agree we would love for the Lord to say this about us? He trusted in the Lord God of Israel so that after him was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor were there before him, for he held fast to the Lord. He did not depart from following him, but he kept his commandments, which the Lord God had commanded Moses. Wonder, isn't that a great gravestone verse to have on? Now, that is what God said about this man, Hezekiah. Now, you, we're all rooting for the guy right now, aren't we? Now, if you were with us in 2 Kings, you know that, well, he's got an issue coming up. But let's, let's have him clean house and let's get to the good of Hezekiah and the reforms. And so in verse 3, it says, now in the first year of his reign, he didn't, he like right out of the gate, first year, he didn't like, hey, I'm going to, 
you know, pick judges and these people. And you know, he went right into it in the first year of his reign, in the first month. He opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. This leads us to believe that the house of the Lord is closed. <laughs> the government, the previous administration had closed church. Calm down. I know that would never happen. Not only that is he repaired him. Hezekiah started his reformation, as we will see, with the religious leaders as well as cleaning out. It's going to tell us that the wrath of the Lord was abated because of the reforms that Hezekiah was doing. So the wrath was coming upon Judah by the hand of the Lord. But because God saw one man, Hezekiah, stand up, God says, I will abate that and I will keep it from being poured upon the house of Judah. Isn't that wonderful? Because God not only saw the heart of Hezekiah, but he saw him doing it. He (laughs) kicked down the door and he got a broom and he started cleaning. And then he started beating up on the Levites and the priest who were themselves defiled. Again, he was one of the greatest kings as we will see. Now, I want you to note one thing before we go into his reforms. He came and he had a wicked father. He didn't have to follow in his footsteps. He chose to not go down the path of his wicked father, Ahaz. Everybody hear that? So the Bible doesn't know anything about generational sin like that, that we all have a choice, no matter how we were raised or what the situation was, we can say no. And we can stop that. And Hezekiah is proof of that. In fact, he will have reformations and he will restore that which everyone knew his father had passed before him. I know we, we, we live in this nation where apparently Congress thinks that if you pass something that it just, it's law and we never have to, you know, change anything. We, we just have to live with it. That is not Hezekiah. Hezekiah said, I don't care what happened before with my dad and what he passed as laws. I am going to change those laws because it was not right and it was evil. Don't you love Hezekiah already? Let's keep him going. He brought in the priest and the Levites and gathered them into the east square. And he said to them, hear me, Levites. Now sanctify yourself and sanctify the house of the Lord God of your fathers, note with me, and carry out the rubbish from the holy place. The temple had been apparently uh, like Sanford and Son, had become just a junk. Now, half of you don't even know what I just said. You'll have to look Sanford and Son up. (laughs) I'm coming. Sorry. You'll get that later. Again, tragically, the condition of both the Levites and the temple was so bad that they seemed incapable, listen, of reforming themselves. And it took someone outside. It took an outsider to come into the government and say, there's a swamp and we need to drain it. Well, again, this is a great template 
for a revival in our own life. Listen, we hear that term revival thrown around all the time, but revival really is about action. It's not about saying it. It's about doing it. It's about getting in there and cleaning. It involves hard work. Nothing comes easy in this life, no matter what the government will tell you. It doesn't. It takes hard work. Hezekiah knew that. And he tasked these priests and these Levites to get in there. Get the rubbish out, Hezekiah said. And he said, verse 6, For our fathers have transgressed and done evil in the sight of the Lord our God. And they have forsaken him. And they have turned their faces away from the dwelling place of the Lord and turned their backs on him. It was a nation that had forgotten God, had kicked God out of every place in public life, said, we don't want to say Merry Christmas anymore. Hezekiah said, we're not doing that anymore. We had wicked fathers before us. We had a wicked administration. We had wicked laws, and we're going to change that. He says, they have also shut up the doors of the vestibules and put out the lamps and have not burned incense or offered burnt offering in the holy place to the God of Israel. During Ahaz's reign, it would seem that all worship in the temple had stopped altogether, even the sacrifice. Notice he says, Therefore the wrath of God fell upon Judah and Jerusalem, and he has given them up to trouble. Listen, if a nation wants to go down this path, God will allow it, and that nation will find itself, circle, underline the word, trouble. The chastening hand of the Lord often comes in an unpleasant way to a nation because that nation doesn't want to heed God, so therefore he brings whatever the situation to get their attention or he allows that to happen. Notice, and he has given them up to trouble, to desolation, and to the jeering, as you see with your eyes, for indeed because of this, our fathers have fallen by the sword, and our sons and our daughters and our wives are now in captivity. Now it is in my heart to make a covenant with the Lord God of Israel that his fierce wrath may turn away from us. My sons, do not neglect now, for the Lord has chosen you to stand before him, to serve him, that you should minister to him and to burn incense. By the way, who is he talking to? the people who should know, the religious leaders. He's reminding them of their responsibility. I think it's very appropriate that every once in a while inside of the church, we are to be reminded of our responsibility. He says, listen to that. Do not neglect. How is our walk going? Have you been neglecting the house of the Lord your God? Well, he tells them to stop. Now, these are the Levites, and you're welcome to read these guys. But we love verse 14, the sons of He-Man. Verse 15. Now they gathered their brethren, and they sanctified themselves, and went accordingly to the commandments of the king at the words of the Lord, 
to cleanse the house of the Lord. And the priest went into the inner part of the house of the Lord to cleanse it. And they brought out all the debris that they found in the temple of the Lord to the outer court of the house of the Lord. And the Levites took it and carried it into the brook Kidron. Now they began to sanctify themselves on the first day of the first month. On, and on the eighth day of that month, they came to the vestibule of the Lord. Look. Eight days they were working on cleaning out the, just the house of the Lord. And they're not even done. And so they sanctified the house of the Lord in eight days. And on the 16th day of the first month, they had finished. It took them 16 days to clean out the temple. And remember, it's not that big. It's not that big at all. How much garbage is in the temple that it takes a bunch of Levites, 16 days to clean it. How much time had been neglected in the service of the Lord with just one administration, Ahaz? Isn't that interesting? That it could go down that quickly. (laughs) Well, mm, verse 18, Then they went to King Hezekiah and said, We have cleansed all the house of the Lord. The altar of the burnt offerings with all of its altars, articles, I'm sorry, and the table of the showbread and all of its articles. Moreover, all the articles which King Ahaz and his reign cast aside in his transgression, we have prepared and sanctified, and there they are before the altar of the Lord. Listen how cavalier Ahaz is with the things of the Lord. Just cast them aside. King Hezekiah rose up early. He gathered the rulers of the city and went up to the house of the Lord, verse 21, and they brought seven bulls, seven rams, seven lambs, seven male goats for a sin offering for the kingdom, for the sanctuary, and for all of Judah. And then he commanded the priest and the sons of Aaron to offer them on the altar of the Lord. And so they killed the bulls, And the priest received the blood and sprinkled it on the altar. Likewise, he killed the rams and sprinkled the altar, the blood on the altar. They also killed the lambs and sprinkled that blood upon the altar. And they brought out the male goats for the sin offering before the king and the assembly, and they laid their hands upon them. And so the priest killed them. And they presented their blood on the altar of the sin offering to make atonement for all of Israel. For the king commanded that no burnt offering and sin offering be made for all of Israel. And so he stationed the Levites in the house of the Lord, notice, with cymbals and with stringed instruments, with harps according to the commandment of David, of Gad the king's seer and Nathan the prophet, For thus was the commandment of the Lord by the prophets. What we're going to find out is that Hezekiah takes them back to the Bible. So, as we will see through this life of Hezekiah, the best thing that we could ever do is go back to the Bible. Shocker. Reformation starts with action, but it has us going back and say, Lord, what would you have for me? What would you have for us? And so... Hezekiah commanded them to offer the burnt offering on the altar. And when the burnt offerings began, 
the song of the Lord also began with the trumpets and with the instruments of David, the king of Israel. And so all the assembly worshiped and the singers sang and the trumpeters sounded. All this continued until the burnt offering was finished. What I love about Hezekiah here is that in his arrangement of the restoration of the temple service, Hezekiah was careful to include both offering and worship. He combined them. And what he said was worship wasn't just of your mouth, but it was of the giving as well. Each honored God in their appropriate ways. And when they had finished offering the king and all who were present with him bowed and worshiped, Moreover, King Hezekiah and the leaders commanded the Levites to sing praise to the Lord with the words of David and Asaph the seer. So they broke out the Psalms. So they sang praises with gladness and bowed their heads and they worshiped. And then Hezekiah answered and said, Now that you have consecrated yourself to the Lord, come near and bring sacrifice and thanks offering into the house of the Lord so that the assembly brought in their sacrifices and their thanks offerings and many as were of a willing heart brought their burnt offering. And you see that theme over and over, as many who had a willing heart. And the number of the burnt offerings with the assembly brought was 70 bulls, 100 rams, 200 lambs, And all of these were the burnt offering unto the Lord. And they consecrated things, I'm sorry, and the consecrated things were 600 bulls and 3,000 sheep. But the priests were too few, (laughs) so that they could not skin all the burnt offering. Therefore, their brethren, the Levite, helped them until the work was ended and until the other priests had sanctified themselves. Please note with me. For the Levites were more diligent in sanctifying themselves than the priests. Also, the burnt offerings were in more abundance with the fat of the peace offering and with the drink offering and every burnt offering. So the service of the house of the Lord was set in order. So Hezekiah and all the people rejoiced that God had prepared the people since the events took place so suddenly. So they broke out into praise to God that, that God, you allowed restoration to come back. Remember, the wrath of God was coming upon them, and he had stayed his hand. Chapter 30, the Passover. And so Hezekiah, verse 1, sent to all of Israel and Judah. He also wrote letters to Ephraim and Manasseh, that's in the north, that they should come into the house of the Lord at Jerusalem to keep the Passover to the Lord their God. For the king and the leaders and all the assembly in Jerusalem had agreed to keep the Passover in the second month, for they could not keep it at the regular time because a significant number of priests had not consecrated themselves, nor had the people gathered together at Jerusalem. And so the matter pleased the king and all of the assembly. And so they resolved to make a proclamation throughout all of Israel from Beersheba to Dan, as far as north as they could get, that they should come to keep the Passover to the Lord God of Israel at Jerusalem. And so they had not done it for a long time, 
in the prescribed, please that note that, the prescribed matter. It had been a very long time since they had actually kept the prescribed matter of the Passover. And so, then the runners went throughout all of Israel and Judah with the letters from the king and his leaders, and he spoke according to the commandment of the king. The children of Israel returned to the Lord God of Abraham, of Isaac, and Israel. And so they returned to the remnant who have escaped from the hand of the king of Assyria. So, Hezekiah knows that the Assyrians have for the most part, wiped out the northern tribes. And so what he does is he says, those who have escaped the hand of the Assyrians come and find refuge into the southern area. And so, do not be like your fathers or your brethren who transgressed against the Lord your God. So he gave them up to desolation as you did see. Now, Do not be stiff-necked as your fathers were, but yield yourself to the Lord and enter his sanctuary, which he has sanctified forever. And serve the Lord your God, that the fierceness of his wrath may be turned away from you. (laughs) For if you return to the Lord, your brethren and your children will be treated with compassion by those who lead them captive. And so that they may come back to this land, for the Lord your God is gracious and merciful and will not turn his face from you if you return to him. Now, note that in verse 9, because that will be communicated to the southern tribes when the Babylonians are at the gate. When the Babylonians and Nebuchadnezzar are sieging them, the religious leaders and the people, the rulers say, hey, don't. Don't listen to the prophets because the prophets were saying, hey, give yourself up, get into the hands of the Babylonians. You'll be taken away captive, but you'll be fine and there won't be any problem. They didn't listen to him. And so they were destroyed for the most part. So it's a little forerunner of what's coming. Speaking of runners, verse 10, so the runners passed from city to city through the country of Ephraim and Manasseh as far as Zebulun. Please note with me but they laughed him and they mocked him. God was giving them a way out. And they said, nope, we're not going to listen. Nevertheless, some from Asher, so there was a remnant of Manasseh and Zebulun, humbled themselves and came to Jerusalem. Also the hand of God was on Judah to give them the singleness of heart to obey the command of the king and the leaders at the word of the Lord. Now many people, a very great assembly, gathered at Jerusalem to keep the feast of the unleavened bread in the second month. And so they arose and they went to the altars that were in Jerusalem, and they took away the incense altars and cast them into the brook Kidron. So verse 14 now tells us exactly what Hezekiah had said in the other chapter, which was getting rid of the false gods and the worship. And so now they are doing that. Notice, they took away the altars that were in Jerusalem and they threw them into the brook Kidron, which was the dump, uh, even up to Jesus' day. Notice, they slaughtered the Passover lambs on the 14th day of the second month and the priests and the Levites were ashamed and they sanctified themselves and brought the burnt offerings to the house of the Lord and they stood in their place according to their custom, according to the law of Moses, 
the man of God. And the priest sprinkled the blood and received from the hands of the Levites, for there were many in the assembly, I think this is interesting, who had not sanctified themselves. Therefore, the Levites had charge of the slaughter of the Passover lambs for everyone who was not clean to sanctify themselves to the Lord. So if you were coming to the temple, you had to do your ritual cleaning. That was cleaning your, your, <laughs> cleaning your body, getting your heart ready to have this sacrifice unto the Lord. And I love this phrase, there were so many who could not sanctify themselves. Listen, that is wonderful. Why is that wonderful? How could that be wonderful? Because there are a lot of people who think that they should get themselves clean before they come to God, and God says, hey, don't worry about it. Uh, you just come any oh way you are, flip-flop and all. But we do require clothes. Notice, <laughs> for the multitude of the people, many from Ephraim, Manasseh, and Ishakar, and Zebulun, had not cleansed themselves, yet they ate the Passover contrary to what was written. But notice, Hezekiah prayed for them, saying, may the good Lord, by the way, don't you love that phrase? The good Lord provide atonement for everyone who prepared his ark to seek the Lord God of his fathers, though he is not cleansed according to the purification of the sanctuary. Hezekiah says, Lord, could you just give a waiver right now? At least they're coming, and at least they're wanting to have the Passover of the Lamb. Isn't that wonderful? Lord, <laughs> just waiver time. Listen, and the Lord listened to Hezekiah, and he healed the people. And so the children of Israel who were present at Jerusalem kept the feast of the unleavened bread seven days, notice, with great gladness. And the Levites and the priests praised the Lord day by day, singing to the Lord, accompanied with loud, I love how it always says loud, man, they turned the speakers to 11. And Hezekiah gave encouragement to all the Levites who taught the good knowledge of the Lord, and they ate throughout the feast seven days, offering peace offering and making confession to the Lord God of their fathers. That verse as I was studying popped out at me because it, it reminds me of what the role of the Levites and the priests are, and it isn't just to represent the people for a sacrifice. It is, notice, to teach the good knowledge of the Lord. They are to be teachers, just as God has called pastors, not to entertain the flock, but to instruct and to teach, to give good knowledge of the Lord. In verse 23, then the whole assembly agreed to keep the feast another seven days. Of course they did. Who doesn't want to have another seven-day feast paid by Hezekiah? <laughs> so they kept the feast another seven days. And they did it with gladness. For Hezekiah, king of Judah, gave to the assembly a thousand bulls, 7,000 sheep. Man, these people ate good. And the leaders gave to the assembly a thousand bulls and 10,000 sheep. A great number of priests sanctified themselves. And so the whole assembly of Judah rejoiced. Also the priests and the Levites all the assembly came from Israel, the sojourners, 
who came from the land of Israel, who dwelt in Judah. So there was great joy in Jerusalem, for since the time of Solomon, so a couple of hundred years, since the time of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, there had not been nothing like this in Jerusalem. It took King Hezekiah to do it. Not even Uzziah, not even Josiah, not even Jehoshaphat. Some of these good kings, it took somebody at the end. We're getting closer to the end of Judah. And he did right in the sight of the Lord. And so the priests, the Levites, arose and blessed the people. And their voice was heard and their prayer came up to his holy dwelling place unto heaven. It was a sweet-smelling aroma unto the Lord. Chapter 31. Now, when all of this was finished, all Israel who were present went out of the cities of of Judah and broke, here it is again, down the sacred pillars and pieces, cut down the wooden images, and threw down the high places and the altars from all of Judah, Benjamin, Ephraim, and Manasseh, until they had utterly destroyed them all. Then all the children of Israel returned to their own city, every man to his own possession. It took Hezekiah to get reforms going so that they came and they had knowledge of the Lord, what God had called them to do, and now the people go out and they do exactly what God had called them, which was to remove the pagan altars. Verse 2. And so Hezekiah appointed the divisions of the priests of the Levites according to their division, each man according to his service. And the priests and the Levites for the burnt offering and the peace offering to serve, to give thanks and to praise in the gates and of the camp of the Lord. And the king also appointed a portion of his possessions for the burnt offering. That would be the daily offerings for the morning and the evening and the burnt offering for the Sabbaths and the new moons and the set feasts as it is written in the law of the Lord. Moreover, he commanded the people who dwelt in Jerusalem to contribute support for the priests and the Levites that they might devote themselves to the law of the Lord. So it would seem, as we'll see in a little bit here, that the support of the priests and the Levites had gone away and there was really no providing for them as God had commanded them. So verse 5, notice, as soon as the commandment was circulated, the children of Israel brought in abundance the first fruits of grain and wine and oil and honey and all of the produce of the field, and they brought in abundance the tithe of everything, the ten that was commanded by Moses. And so the children of Israel... And Judah, who dwelt in the cities of Judah, brought their tithe of oxen, of sheep, also the tithe of the holy things, which were consecrated to the Lord their God. They lay, I love this phrase, they laid in heaps. And in the third month, three months, <laughs> they began laying them in heaps. And finished in the seventh month, notice, <laughs> They began in the third month, and they finished in the seventh month. And when Hezekiah and the leaders came, they saw the heaps. <laughs> I, just love, I love how the Bible says that. They, they saw the heaps, 
and they blessed the Lord and his people Israel. And then Hezekiah questioned the priests and the Levites concerning the heaps. And Azariah, the chief priest from the house of Zadok, answered and said, uh, since, the begin, since the people began to bring the offerings into the house of the Lord, I love what he says. We actually have had enough to eat and have plenty left. For the Lord has blessed his people, and what is left is in great abundance. Now Hezekiah commanded them to prepare rooms in the house of the Lord. And they prepared them, and they faithfully brought in the offering and the tithe and the dedicated things. And Coniah the Levite had in charge of them, and Shimei the brother was next. And then it lists out these guys that are helping them in the distribution. Notice verse 16, Beside those males from three years old and up were written in the genealogy And they distributed to everyone who entered into the house of the Lord his daily portion, notice, for the work of the service. So when the priests and the Levites came in to do their work, I love this, there was a cafeteria. They were able to get what they needed so that they would do their role. So they wouldn't have to worry about going out and providing they were provided in the temple. And so the priest who were written in the genealogy according to their father's house and to their Levites from 20 years old and above, according to the work and according to their divisions. And to all who are written in the genealogy, their little ones, their wives, their sons, their daughters, the whole company of them, for in their faithfulness they sanctified themselves in holiness. For the sons of Aaron, the priests who were in the fields of the common land of their cities, And in every single city that were given, um, there were men who were designated by name to distribute the portion to all the males among the priests and to all those listed by genealogy among the Levites. What verse 19 says is that there was so much that was brought in the temple, by the way, like it was supposed to, that they had wagon trains that went out into the Levite cities and then provided for them when they were in their home cities. Thus Hezekiah did throughout all Judah, and he did what was good and right and true before the Lord God. And in every work that he began in the service of the house of of God, in the law and in the commandments, please note with me, to seek his God He did with all of his heart, and so he prospered. And so because he did it with all of his heart, he prospered. Now, we would love to end tonight with that, wouldn't we? Like, woo, Hezekiah, you rock. We're all getting Hezekiah shirts, right? Hezekiah's strong shirts. But listen to this. That's not life. Life is... Shenekarebs. That's what life is. Because although he did all of this great work, as we will see, for the Lord, and you would think, well, the Lord's going to give him a break because he did so well in doing all of this with his heart, it does not mean that Shenekarebs will not show up at your door. It just simply means 
that what God was doing in your life beforehand was preparing you for the Shennacherib who will show up. Because Shennacherib, you can tell I like saying it, because Shennacherib will always show up in your life. It doesn't matter how faithful you are to the Lord, how old you are, how young you are, you will have, and for the most part, a lot of us will have a lot of Shennacherib's. Well, let's see who this Shennacherib is. Now, after these deeds of faithfulness, he was faithful to the Lord. Shennacherib, king of Assyria, came and entered Judah, and he encamped or he made siege against the fortified cities, thinking to win them over to himself. Please take note with me. This is history And this is the time in the year. It is 704 B.C. That's important. Guys, our tendency is to think that when we are genuinely faithful to God, we will be immune from attack. The experience of Hezekiah and the countless other men and women of God tell us otherwise, that no matter what, you will be attacked. And sometimes the attacker will be so great, you look at it and go, I have, no, I have no idea how we're getting out of this. Now, let's talk about this. But I, I wanted to put it in perspective for us because I think it's hard to read about a guy named Shennacherib in 704 B.C. and the Assyrian nation, and really we have no reference for that because in 2020, right? Isn't that where we are still? couple more days. Oh, let's get rid of it. War in the United States of America hasn't happened on our shore from an outside um, nation since the War of 1812, right? The British came back. They came into Washington, D.C. They tried to burn it down. God struck them with lightning and with a perhaps a tornado. God's provision upon us and his grace upon us turned away the British. Oh, it's wonderful. So when we look at that, well, we, don't, we don't really know that. I mean, the British army, for the most part, wasn't killing women and children, right? So we really don't have a reference to that. We, we really live in a safe place, don't we? I mean, we're not rounded up like in China and sent to an internment camp because we disagree. (laughs) There was a guy just this week sentenced to four months because he dared disagree with the Chinese government. I thought, four months, man, that guy got off light. Usually you get your head off. So we don't live in that world. Do you guys understand that? We don't live in the threat of violence like that. We don't know what it's like to, to live knowing that the Assyrians or the Babylonians are coming. Even the Greeks and the Romans were tame in comparison to the Assyrians. The Assyrians were literally terrifying. When they came into Israel, it was told that they slaughtered everybody in a city. They took off their heads and they piled them in a pyramid outside the gate. Who was it for? They had killed everybody. It was to say that we could do that. 
The Assyrians flayed people alive. Do you know what that means? Take off their skin. They would strip them down naked. They would put big fish hooks in their jaws and line them up with the chain and have them walk all the way back to Baghdad. That's where the Assyrian nation was, upper northern Iraq. They were a brutal people. They were feared. Guys, we don't live in that world, do we? I mean, and I don't mean to say it this way, but the worst thing that we have is a nuclear weapon, which is kind compared to the Assyrians. We don't know anything like it. The, The kind of closest that I can come up to would be maybe the wars in Rwanda where they were going after each other or Pol Pot in the killing fields and the brutality of that, uh, the brutality in um, Czechoslovakia and, uh, not Czechoslovakia, um, Bosnia and Croatia during that time uh, where they, they literally massacred each other that way. But, but we, we live in the United States of America. We have no concept of what the Assyrians are and how terrifying that would be. Jewish tradition tells us that when they started rolling in from the north into the northern tribes, the fathers, knowing how brutal the Assyrians were, would kill all of his children, knowing that he did not want them to be taken captive by the Assyrians or to be brutalized. Now, what mental state are you in as a father to think, taking my children out is better than what they are about to face from the Assyrians. So see, we read this, and it's just Shennacherib of the Assyrians. And we don't look at the brutality of these people and literally how terrified you would be if you saw the Assyrians outside of Jerusalem. Everybody get that? you got to understand where they are. And you were killed by a sword or a spear, not a gun or a bullet. Do you see that? It was a totally different mindset. I mean, they had psychological warfare even before it was invented. All you had to say was, the Assyrians are coming. What? We're going to Egypt. That's what they were thinking. There was no stopping the Assyrians. That's how powerful they were. Now, later on, Nebuchadnezzar, he overthrows them, and the Babylonians become just as strong and just as ruthless. It's not until later on with the Greeks and the Romans do we see a semblance of civility, even though they were brutal, because they crucified people. All right, you ready? It's like a good opener to Shennacherib, isn't it? I wanted you to see that it's not just a name on a page. It's violence to the extreme. Okay, so Shennacherib, king of Assyria, came to Judah. And by the way, verse 1 tells us that this is his campaign. He's coming from the north and he's working his way down. His sights aren't specifically on Jerusalem, but he is working his way down. And like any leader who has absolutely zero opposition, he just figures, I'm going to keep going. That's what happened to Alexander the Great. 
He sat down one day and wept because there was no other places to conquer. Now, when Hezekiah saw that Shennacherib had come and that his purpose was to make war against Jerusalem, he consulted with his leaders and commanders to stop the waters of the springs which were outside the city that they may help him. Now, let's pause because what you don't know is in Kings and because this is where Hezekiah starts to come off the rails a little bit. As they were um, attacking the northern tribes, Hezekiah had sent tribute to Shennacherib to buy him off and said, listen, if you take this, don't come and beat up on us. Now, the lesson is you can never buy the enemy. The enemy, no matter what you want to give them, they will always eventually come to you. So remember I told you the chronicler was a little bit kind to Hezekiah and he leaves out that Hezekiah first tried to buy off Shennacherib. So that's in Kings. But know with me that he consulted the leaders and they come up with this idea. This is a great idea. What's the idea? Stop up the waters of the springs which were outside the city and they asked for help. Again, this was done in preparation because they knew that they were working their way south. Now, eventually, Hezekiah builds Hezekiah's tunnel. If you go to Israel, you can see it. It goes down to the Pool of Siloam. It was inside of the walls so that they had a water source, but everybody outside did not. Now, if you've ever been to Israel, you know water is very important. It is like life, apparently, right? Like breathing, who likes to breathe? Okay, God created us to breathe oxygen, not carbon dioxide. Oxygen. He also wants us to drink water. Well, Hezekiah says, listen, we just finished that, ten that tunnel project. He they're going to mention the tunnel in a minute. Hey, we finished that. Let's just stop up. We'll hide the other wells so when the Assyrians come, they have no water. And I mean, there is no water around except for a few of those springs. And so, uh, four, then many of the people gathered together who stopped up the springs of the brook that ran through the land, saying, why should the king of Assyria come and find much water? And so he strengthened himself and built up the walls that had been broken down. He raised up the towers and built another wall Outside, he also repaired the Milo in the city of David and made weapons and shields in abundance. Now, they have found, amazingly, not only Hezekiah's tunnel, which they uncovered, but they found this portion of the wall that was doubled. Did you see what it said? So he had the normal wall. He, he filled in the wall that was broken, but then he built another wall outside, and the idea was that he extended that reach of the wall so when the Assyrians did come and besiege it, they were enough away from it so their siege equipment wouldn't overrun the city. And then he set captains over the people, and he gathered them together to him in the open square of the city, and he gave them an encouragement saying, Please note with me, gets all the people. Be strong and courageous. 
Do not be afraid nor dismayed before the king of Assyria, nor before the multitude that is with him, for there are more with us than with them. Now, I started the chapter by laying out who the Assyrians are. Now you got your boss, the king, saying, don't be afraid of the guys who are the most brutal on planet Earth. Does that make sense to anybody? Why would they listen to him? They would listen to him because of what he has already done for them and with them before in the previous chapters. So he says, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid nor be dismayed. Listen, fear, as we have seen in 2020, will destroy people and destroy them mentally. And Hezekiah knows that. And I love his phrase, there are more with us. There are more with us. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Notice, with him is an arm of flesh, speaking of Shennacherib. But with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. And the people were strengthened with the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah. Isn't that amazing what happens when you have a strong leader rallying the nation rather than saying we're going into dark days? How does that rally anybody? It's going to get worse and really bad. Thanks. That's not what Hezekiah does. Now listen, Hezekiah is a realist. He knows how bad the Assyrians are, but he also knows how great our God is. Through 2020, my wife told me this, to keep reminding everyone God is still on the throne. No matter what, the next administration says or does or dark days that they say are coming or not coming, God is still on the throne. He is still our God. Jesus still died for our sins and he gives life to all that would accept that. We need to remember that. By the way, I love how Hezekiah says his arm is flesh, but we serve a great God. And so the people were strengthened. Verse 9, now after this, Shennacherib, king of Assyria, sent his servants to Jerusalem, but he and all of his forces laid siege to Lachish, and so he he sent them to King Hezekiah of Judah and to all of Judah who were in Jerusalem. Now, note with me that uh, uh, Shennacherib sends his emissaries to Jerusalem, as we'll see, to do a little trash-talking. But Shennacherib stays and besieges Lachish. Now, if you ever go to the British Museum in, in, in London, I don't foresee that happening for a long time, air travel to our sister nation, England. But if you do go there, they have a huge section on Assyria. Why? Because it was the British Museum who had discovered the city of Nineveh, to which, by the way, the world says there was no Nineveh, it must have been made up, the Bible was wrong, then all of a sudden, some British museum guys went out and darned if they didn't find it exactly where the Bible said. Now, granted, it was buried under tons and tons of Iraqi sand, 
but it was there. And it was there in all of its grandeur and glory, so much so that they brought it back to the British Museum. And you can see these huge columns, you can see the lions, and you can see this carving of Shennacherib at Lachish with them bowing down. It's extra biblical, which tells us that the Bible is accurate. It doesn't need help, but it is nice every once in a while. Amen? <laughs> so uh, that's at the British Museum. Enjoy that day. We went way too quick through it. I could have spent a long time through it, but uh, there's just all kinds of things in the British Museum that prove that the Bible is exactly what it says. So, 10. Thus, we got to get, get going. There's no way I'm going to do this in four minutes, but I'm going to try. Thus says Shennacherib, king of Assyria. So now this is his emissaries who are standing outside of the gates of Jerusalem. In what do you trust that you remain under siege in Jerusalem? Does not Hezekiah persuade you to give yourself over to die by famine or by thirst, saying that the Lord our God will deliver us from the hand of the king of Assyria? Don't you love how they trash talk? and the trash talk is nothing new. God can't save you. He can't really deliver you from that. Has not Hezekiah taken away his high places, his altars, and commanded Judah and Jerusalem, saying, you shall worship me before one altar and burnt incense on it? Now, if I had time, I would love to dive into verse 12 because they who are trash-talking those in Jerusalem can't even get their theology right. Did you see that? They think that Hezekiah said to take down the altars of God all around the country and only worship in one place when in fact they were getting rid of the false gods and worshiping the one and true living God. They don't even know. All right. How many of you have relatives and friends quote you stuff out of the Bible or some kind of theological, theological thing that isn't even close, even close? But they believe it. So too these guys. <laughs> Not good with their theology. Um, 13. Do you not know what I and my fathers have done to all the people in the other lands? Were the gods of the nations of whose land is in any way able to deliver their lands out of their hand? True, because there is no God but Jehovah God. They've never come against him until today. <laughs> Ooh, I can't wait to watch this video. He says, who was there among all of those gods of the nations that my father utterly destroyed that could deliver his people from my hand, that your God should be able to deliver you from my hand? Now, therefore, do not let Hezekiah deceive you or persuade you like this, and do not believe him. For no God of any nation or kingdom was able to deliver his people from my hand or from my hand of my father's. How much less will your God deliver you from my hand? And all of that is true, except for the part where they think they're going to whip on Jehovah Yahweh God, right? Furthermore, his servant spoke against the Lord God and against his servant Hezekiah. He also wrote letters to revile the Lord God of Israel 
and to speak against him, saying, As the gods of the nations and of the other lands have not delivered their people from my hand, so the God of Hezekiah will not deliver his people from my hand. And so they called out with a loud voice, please note with me, in Hebrew. Why? Because the people inside of the city are Hebrew. And so they're yelling that over that to the wall, so it's freaking the people out. Notice, who were on the wall, to frighten them and to trouble them. So their job was to instill great fear upon the people because fear is controlling. And when you, when you allow yourself to be fearful, you're allowing somebody to control you. And how about you, but I'm still in a free and American who's a believer and a Christian, and I'm not going to let anybody bring that kind of fear in, and dominate my life. No government, no Fauci, no nothing. Amen? So don't let it. Say, I will not allow you to control my life in that way because perfect love has already cast out all fear. You know, an unbeliever is different, but a believer trusts in God. Jesus has paid all of that for us. And so they spoke out against the God of Jerusalem and against the gods of the people of the earth and the works of men's hand. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Sorry, I'm just debating <laughs> how much to go here. Nope. I don't mean to do this to you. We will stop there. There is way too much for me to go into at one hour and one minute. We'd be here for at least another six hours. <laughs> and you're like, I got to get to work. <laughs> and I like you, but that's a lot. So read ahead. We'll finish the rest of 32. And then we will see one of the most wicked kings in the south Hezekiah's son, Manasseh. But there is a silver lining to the life of Manasseh. So read ahead, Lord willing, for next week. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for your word. We thank you, Lord, for your servant, Hezekiah, who set his heart and his mind towards the things of the world, or the things of uh, your word, Lord. Not the world, that would be bad. And so, Lord, thank you that you prospered him, Lord, when he set his heart towards you. So, Lord, we just pray that we would withstand this world and its trying to keep us in a place of fear. But, Lord, we know that you're on the throne and that you are sovereign and that you are great and you love us. And, Lord, that we will never escape the enemy. We will come through it through the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us, empowering us, Lord, to push through the trials of Shenekarebs. And so, Lord, we thank you for our time tonight, Lord. We thank you for your blessing, and we thank you, Lord, for your word that gives us guidance and hope. In Jesus' name, amen.